0: Welcome to We Are ACHE of Massachusetts, a podcast series produced by the Massachusetts chapter of the American College of Healthcare Executives. This series features educational and inspiring conversations with leading game changers in the healthcare field, offering insight into the challenges of healthcare professionals in the 21st century. Now, here's your host, Jordan Rich.
1: Welcome, our guest today is Dr. Richard Parker, chief medical officer with Arcadia. His responsibility includes the design and implementation of clinical strategies, development of Arcadia's technology and service programs, ideas to support providers transitioning to value-based care, and he's a strategic advisor working for physician leaders at Arcadia's clients. Previously, Dr. Parker was an internist with a 30-year history at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Thanks for being here. Let's talk about value-based care. Can you give us a simple definition?
2: The simple answer is that value has two parts, two parts to the equation. One is quality, quality of care, and the other part is price, the price of care. So value-based care is really the fraction. The numerator is quality. The denominator is cost or price. You're here to
1: help us through this
2: and talk a little bit about
1: the pros and cons. Venture to say there shouldn't be too many cons with value-based
2: care, am I right? It's more complicated than you think because value-based care now implies that groups of providers take some kind of financial risk. And this really is the one lever that seems to have motivated groups of providers to do better in the healthcare marketplace. Mm. Previously, we were in the so-called fee-for-service uh, method of paying for health care, which meant that the more doctors do, the more they get paid. So the incentive was just to do more with no concern about the cost. In this day of value-based care, the name of the game is to improve the quality of care, but at the same time, spend less. The goal here is to have doctors and hospitals do the correct procedures on the correct patients at the correct time and not do more procedures than are indicated. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about the sea change in medicine
1: then? When this wave started to happen and how big a change has it been to this point, doctor?
2: Sure. So the cost of health care has been rising steadily, certainly since the 1960s, but it really accelerated in the 1980s and 1990s. And employers were seeing the costs of their health care go up. Towns and municipalities were seeing mm. the cost of health care for their workers go up and up. And they started to squawk and said, hey, what can we do about this? And that was really when some large insurance companies, for example, Blue Cross Blue Shield here in Massachusetts came up with what was called the AQC or alternative quality contract. And that put doctors and hospitals at risk financially to get them to do a better job. And I think that has been actually quite successful. So the 1980s, we really saw the turning point.
1: And would you say it's pretty much
2: a nationwide trend? I think uh, the large entities like Medicare, Mm -hmm. Medicaid, uh, large commercial insurers, they would all tell you having doctors and hospitals take on financial risk is the only lever that has been shown to work. If you ask average patients or citizens, they probably don't know what you're talking about.
1: We all look for value. We don't know how it's achieved necessarily behind the
2: scenes. Right. And we also have to measure it. So if you ask me, how do we know, we have to have things that we can measure. We have to measure the quality of care. It's easy to measure the cost of care. That's just the bottom line of the budget and what was spent. But the quality of care can get quite complex to measure, and we could certainly talk more about that.
1: So let's talk a little bit about alternative payment models and how these models are changing the pace of healthcare and how things are
2: are happening in healthcare. I believe you're referring to what I called risk. And I'm really talking about financial risk, where groups of doctors, plus minus hospitals, take on financial risk. And if they do a good job is defined by the payer. The payer is Medicare, Medicaid, or commercial employers, they will make more money. If mm-hmm. they do a poor job, They will lose money. A lot of hospitals have gone out of business in the United States, including in Massachusetts, just due to the economic pressures in healthcare. Uh, But if you look at this value-based care and financial risk, and let's just take Medicare, for example, there are winners and losers. And about half of the Medicare ACOs, or uh, accountable care organizations, are doing well financially at Mm -hmm. risk, and the other half aren't.
1: A medical or health organization is big and lumbering and has a lot of moving parts. This is not the easiest thing in the world to adapt to,
2: is it? No. Uh, you make a really good point that when you consider who's delivering the care, it's doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, other healthcare providers, 24-7, 365. Mm. And that's where the rubber meets the road, is in every exam room, every hospital room, every ER, every minute, of every hour of every day. And it's the aggregate of all of those little interactions that make up whether that big ship is turning or not.
1: Let's talk a bit about file sharing and about big data and the expansive networks that are connecting hospitals and
2: healthcare agencies. How much of a difference is this making? So the data question is really foundational. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, if you can't measure it, you just don't know what's going on. And because doctors tend to work on multiple electronic medical records that don't interoperate. So, for example, here in Boston, you could go to a Mass General and then you could go to over to Beth Israel Deaconess and they don't share records. But uh, uh, companies that aggregate data put all that data together into one cleaned up data lake so that the entity, the accountable care organization, can analyze it, understand it and do a better job.
1: So the idea of one hospital or several medical facilities going it on their own, having their own fiefdom, if you will, that kind of thing is going by the wayside?
2: Yeah. Running your own fiefdom is gone, um, at least in this market. Now, it varies around the United mm-hmm. States. There are places where fee-for-service is still the predominant payment model. Data is not interoperable, and they haven't caught on yet. But the Boston market, where we are, is very competitive, um, and sharing of data is primary.
1: Dr. Parker, let's talk about data and analytics and the importance of identifying patients going forward for whatever conditions or whatever situations might
2: arise. How can that help? Sure. So, in the Good News department, we're getting more sophisticated with our algorithms figuring out how to identify which patients, usually with a combination of social and medical problems, would benefit from a nurse-driven care management intervention, usually telephonic, where we have had excellent success with ACOs, improving the quality of care of those patients and, and also at the same time reducing the cost of that care.
1: As is the case with all of this stuff, information is power. The more you know about people and trends, the better you can deliver value.
2: Correct. The data is the foundation.
1: You would think that Boston, being a healthcare center, would be very up to speed on this model. Boston and Massachusetts as a whole. How do we compare with other states?
2: Massachusetts is certainly ahead of other states in terms of our ability to share data, understand data, clean up data, use data, uh, and that's a good thing.
1: I know that improving healthcare is a team sport, but let's talk about the role not of the clinicians, but of the management staff in moving this idea of value-based medicine forward. First of all, should we assume that it's been an added burden on healthcare executives with all the pressures facing them? And second of all, does the value-based model open up various job opportunities because we need people to tackle these issues?
2: Yes and yes. Okay. So in order to run value-based care effectively – organizations need to have significant data shops with analytics, analysts, people who can understand the data and use the data effectively and get it back down to the street level, back back to the doctors and other healthcare providers um, so that they can make the necessary changes. So yes, and it's a lot of work.
1: If we were to do this even better, could we see overall health costs, insurance costs ever come down?
2: Well, the ultimate End of your question is there would be one system for the whole United States. And if we look at some of our neighbors to the north, for example, Canada has one system. Many Western countries have one system. So it makes it easier to have one integrated data set for the nation. Uh, But the United States is far, far from that model. But fortunately, we're moving in the direction of data integration, which is better for patient care.
1: Data integration doesn't necessarily mean a one-payer system. It just means things are more streamlined.
2: Correct. Data integration does not mean a single-payer system, but it might mean that uh, one large provider in a metropolitan area could aggregate all the data about an individual patient and provide better care to that patient rather than have it chopped up into silos where they can't get their hands on it.
1: So, Dr. Parker, if you were to advise any health organization, what would you offer
2: them? I would say that the future and present for progressive healthcare organizations demands um, understanding population health. We haven't talked about that today, but population health is understanding the needs of a whole population, having the data to understand the needs of that population to provide better care to those patients and reduce unnecessary medical utilization.
1: We all know the adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. When it comes to value-based care, can we talk about the importance and
2: relevance of preventive care? Sure. Um, If you think about even what public health is here in Massachusetts, for example, eastern equine encephalitis. So if we want to understand a mosquito-borne disease, what do we need? We need data. Mm. So that's just a small example of something that's happening right now in Massachusetts. But you're quite right that public health is broader and deeper than that and it's all data dependent. And of course,
1: you're talking about, say, diabetes prevention. The idea that we have such an obese population out of control in many parts of the country, instituting preventive measures and stopping it before it gets started, that's a great way to increase value, isn't it?
2: Sure. So preventive health um, is a role for all uh, healthcare providers to play, but we can do it better when we know who we're dealing with. So Mm. we have to know which children haven't been vaccinated. We have to know which women haven't gotten mammograms and pap smears. We have to know who hasn't gotten their colon cancer screening. And this is where uh, running um, superior analytics and data helps us very quickly figure out who those patients are.
1: Rich, we have a traditional last question in our interviews on these podcasts. And that has to do with the role of technology, and how do you see the role of technology affecting value-based care, say within the next
2: five years? I think technology is necessary but not sufficient. Technology is going to do a better job with two things. Aggregating the data and cleaning it up and making it usable, but also providing better analytics so that healthcare organizations can understand that data. We can predict, for example, which patients might be readmitted to the hospital and therefore we give them more services. We can predict uh, who might die in the next six to 12 months and we can make sure they're offered a hospice and palliative care programs that they might not otherwise have heard about. Those are just a couple of examples. So I think that progressive healthcare organizations will definitely be on the data bandwagon over the Mm. next five years.
1: Any parting words of advice for those listening in, for those
2: interested in making a difference and for consumers for that matter? My advice would be people need to start understanding at a deeper level what is going on with the cost of care in the United States. And very simply, it is overutilization of medical services that are not needed Mm. times the cost of those services. And the cost is set in an arbitrary fashion, uh, sometimes by the government, sometimes by insurers. And that is a complex problem that needs to be better understood in order for us to get our hands around it and wrestle it to the ground. With
1: the additional factor of people living longer in general in an aging
2: population. Yes, although sadly, uh, due to the epidemics of obesity, opioid epidemic, Mm. depression, and suicide, the life expectancy in the United States is now going backwards.
1: Good point. That's statistically true, and it's, um, it's a shame, but we have some work to do to try to straighten that out. Well, Dr. Parker, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you for your guidance and wisdom, and thank you for helping us understand this relatively complex issue. Well, thank
2: you. I feel like we're just
1: getting started.
0: If you're looking to grow your career, then consider joining other leaders in health care and becoming an American College of Healthcare Executives member. There are many benefits to joining the Massachusetts chapter of ACHE. You'll be among the leaders in healthcare, gaining knowledge and skill sets that will help you grow professionally and excel at your job. You'll enjoy greater satisfaction and the potential to enhance your career. And you'll be giving back to your profession in positive and inspiring ways. As a member of ACHE, you'll join more than 48,000 healthcare leaders from across the United States and the world who are dedicated to improving healthcare and advancing the profession of healthcare management. Visit ACHE.org/slash membership. That's ACHE.org/slash membership.